Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Our scripture today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Jesus is opening up into a new section of this Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at. He's about to contrast the priorities of the kingdom of God with the priorities of the unbelieving world. Um, in his day, the pagan world. Um, in our day, you could say the secular world. Uh, what is in contrast between the kingdom of God, in which Jesus is talking about, and the unbelieving world? How are their priorities different? How should the priorities of his disciples be different than the priorities of the world around them? Now, Jesus has earlier contrasted the kingdom of God with religious hypocrisy, moralism. Uh, we've already seen that. Uh, now the contrast focus shifts. And in the Lord's Prayer, which we just looked at, uh, Jesus revealed God's priorities for the life of his true disciples. God's priorities for how we live on this earth as his children. If the Lord's Prayer sets God's priorities for us in this life, then that means that a, a recalibration needs to take place in every area of our lives, in every endeavor, in every relationship, a recalibration needs to take place based on the priorities of God's kingdom as we understand them in the Lord's Prayer. And now, at this moment in this passage, Jesus is going to start by helping us recalibrate, I think, the most obvious area of our lives living in this world. He starts talking about material wealth. He's talking about our possessions. He's talking about our assets, how you spend your money, how you use your assets, how you save what you have earned or acquired really says a lot about who you are. According to Jesus, how you spend and use and save your acquisitions says a lot about you. Matthew, uh, who wrote this gospel, was a despised tax collector when Jesus called him uh, to follow him as a disciple. You can check it out in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew had enjoyed the material comforts of this life at the expense of his fellow Jews uh, who despised him for it. And I just wonder, how did these words that Jesus spoke, how, how did these words impact and work on Matthew's understanding of material possessions? Matthew retold this story and laid a foundation for how Christianity would look at materialism and money and wealth for 2,000 years. 
How did these words work on Matthew's conception of material possessions and status? And how are they working on me and you now? You know, I actually think that this teaching uh, can be applied more broadly than to just money and stuff. I think this passage really gets down to what governs your life. What are you really living for? In 1979, Bob Dylan released an album in, in you know, classic genius Dylan style. Um, he had just experienced Christianity. I, I don't know where Bob Dylan is with Jesus now or has or since, uh, but after meeting Keith Green and, and after experiencing Christianity, uh, Dylan recorded this great album called Slow Train Coming. And, and the opening track is called Gotta Serve Somebody. And Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And as you, as you listen to the words of that song, he's saying, whether you're great or whether you're a nobody, whether you own nothing or whether you own the world, doesn't matter. We all have to serve somebody. And so today's message really focuses on this idea that a person can only really be devoted to one thing. You can only really be devoted to one thing. And the God of the Bible says, let that one thing be me. Let it be me, God says. And I want to talk to you about what you desire, what you focus on, and what you serve. What we desire most, what we're focusing on the most, and who we're really serving. Now, what we most desire, Jesus really understood, is what really defines us. Jesus knew that what you most desire is actually what defines who you are. And so he says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, when we read our English Bible, we, we can't pick up on the poetic word plays that are taking place in this beautiful passage. Uh, one of them is right here. You know, in the original language, the verb lay up and the noun treasures, they shared the same root word. In a, se in a sense, they're the same word. And so what Jesus is really saying here is this. Do not treasure up treasures for yourself. Now, what, what does he mean by these treasures? Because he calls them earthly treasures. What are earthly treasures? Well, look at what he says. What, what do moths do? What does rust do? And what do thieves do? Well, moths consume and rust corrodes and thieves steal, right? So, so he, earthly treasures, according to Jesus, is anything that you are going to eventually lose. Doesn't matter how much of it you have now or even to the end of your life, but you can't take it with you. So whatever you have and accumulate and inherit and earn that you cannot keep. Those are earthly, that those are earthly treasures. Your possessions, your assets, your net worth, your status, not only financial, your social status. Um, these are things that you can't take with you. 
these are things that are earth-bound, right? So earthly treasures are earth-bound possessions and status. So think of, think of a relationship that ends in, um, in a breakup, right? Have you ever broken up with somebody or have you ever broken off an engagement or were you ever dumped, right? How did you feel? Heartbroken. That's what we say, right? That person broke my heart. <laughs> and so in a sense, Jesus is saying, don't set yourself up for a heartbreak by loving what can't love you back. My father-in-law, when I was a young man, gave me great advice for buying a car. Um, and, and I was a car person, so this was hard to hear, but it's been great advice. My entire adult life, he said, don't ever fall in love with a car because a car will never love you back. And, and that's been really helpful for when I've had to make important decisions, important investments, important purchases. Don't love something that will never love you back. Now, moving on in verse 20, Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, so we are supposed to be investing in some things. Not all investments are bad. What are we supposed to be ultimately investing in? Well, the Bible says many things about this, Old Testament and New Testament. But for our purposes today, I want us to focus on, and this is really important in interpreting the Bible, you have to first focus on the immediate context. Where are we? We're in the Sermon on the Mount. How did the Sermon on the Mount begin? What was its preamble? The Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes was Jesus' introduction into all of this. And what did the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 tell us? I'll just mention a few, but listen to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen to this one. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those, Jesus says, who are persecuted on account of me because of their devotion to me. And he summarizes it by saying, your reward is great in heaven. And then the Lord's Prayer tells us right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that way. God, your will be done right here in my life, right now in this world, as your will is done in heaven. Okay, so by living in the priorities of the kingdom of God, you are naturally investing in eternity. By living this life according to the principles of the kingdom of God, as Jesus explains them in the Sermon on the Mount, you are investing in the eternal. But it's even more than that, because he goes on to say in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so he says, don't treasure up for yourselves earthly, earthbound treasures, but treasure up for yourself heavenly treasures. Things that cannot be taken away from you. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now remember what we've said already, that, that in the ancient mind, the heart meant more than just the emotions, right? To the ancient people, the heart meant the whole person, the whole inner self, your emotions, your intellect, your will. The heart meant who you really 
are, the essential you. So Jesus knew that what a person treasures, that who a person treasures is what most defines them. I know it's a cliche, but when you hear this expression, I love you more than life itself, it's really saying something, isn't it? Jesus is saying this, you will be most devoted to what you most desire. What you most treasure, who you most treasure, that says who you really are. At this point, you go, ouch, okay, so I can apply this to more than just money and stuff. This can be, this can be applied to everything in life. You would be right. What you actually focus on the most is what governs you. At this point, Jesus makes an odd transition. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. How are we supposed to understand that? How how is the eye the body's lamp? Is he talking about x-ray vision? He is not. Sorry to disappoint all of you comic book aficionados. Think about what a lamp does. Think about an ancient oil lamp in a dark house where they didn't have electricity. Or in our terms, think about what a candle does. Think about what a flashlight does. It lights your way in darkness, doesn't it? So the eye, as one scholar put it, the eye enables the body to find its way. The eye enables the self to find its way. So Jesus is saying this, while your heart defines you, your eye directs you. Your heart defines who you are, but your eye, what you're focusing on, that directs the course of your life. What you look at, what you focus on most, motivates you, drives you, rules you, owns you. What you're focusing on most owns you. From your routine inner thoughts, you know, just the common daily thoughts that rattle around in your mind, to your life goals, to your most epic decisions, what you're focusing on most rules you. So in a materialistic world, where what matters most to people are the very things they cannot keep, Jesus is saying, focus elsewhere. It was Madonna in the 1980s who said, we're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Right? She said, the, the, the guys that I pay attention to the most are the guys that, that, that can, can do the most for me. And Jesus is saying, while you're living in a material world, Focus your attention upward. While we're all living in a material world, adjust your focus upward. And you don't do that. You don't focus on heaven. You don't focus upward by hiding from the world, by acting more religious, by hiding in religion. No, he's already, he's already talked about the problem with religious hypocrisy. Jesus is not talking about that. We don't avoid the world's problems when we invest in heaven. It's just the opposite. Here's what the Apostle Paul said to his friend Timothy 
about how to encourage wealthy Christians to use their assets. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age. Okay, so, so it's, not, it's not a sin to have assets. It's not a sin to have wealth. There are very poor Christians and there are very wealthy Christians. And you see that throughout the Bible. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up, listen to this, storing up for themselves treasures as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amazing. So, if you focus on heaven's priorities, remember the Beatitudes, if you focus on heaven's priorities, your investment decisions begin to change. A good friend of mine and a mentor once said to me, Brian, stuff is all going to pass away. Even ideas and good causes are eventually going to pass away. Good organizations are going to pass away. But people last forever. And so ultimately, I invest in people, is what he said to me. People last forever, so I I invest most in people in this life. And that advice has always helped me. And I think that advice helps us understand what Jesus is saying. And then look at verse 22. He says, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Remember, what you're focusing on directs you, owns you, rules you. So if your eye is healthy, Jesus is saying, your whole body will be full of life. Now the word there for healthy, the English, the English word doesn't do the original language justice. The word meant to be sincere. It meant to be whole. The word meant to be single-minded. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? For they shall see God. The word also could be used to talk about generosity. The word in other places in the New Testament also meant to be generous. So the idea here is to be whole and complete and even to be generous. Isn't that interesting? When you look at Matthew chapter 25, Jesus offers the parable of the sheep and the goats. And and why are the goats in the end rewarded by God in heaven? Why does Jesus say to the sheep, sorry, I meant to say the sheep. Why does Jesus say to the sheep, receive the reward that was prepared for you before the foundations of the world? Why? Was it because of their good theology? Was it because of their religious activities? It says, Jesus says, they are rewarded for their generosity. For visiting the sick and and visiting the prisoners. And for clothing and feeding the poor. Jesus said, when you did those things, you were doing them to me. So actually, this helps us understand how we change our focus in a materialistic world. Not by by giving away all of our materials. We change our focus by changing the way we think, Martin Lloyd-Jones said. If you want to practically invest in heaven, if you want to practically invest in your eternal reward, you, 
you have to stop thinking like an owner and you have to start thinking like a custodian. That's the shift in your thinking that needs to take place. This world thinks like a bunch of owners, right? Uh, you have natural abilities that you were born with and, and those, those abilities, if you hone them and use them well, uh, you can earn stuff, you can acquire stuff, you can win stuff with those natural abilities. But the way the world thinks is, I own all this stuff, as if you own your natural abilities. But the world thinks that way, what I have acquired and what I have earned and what I have won, I own it all and it's mine and I do with it what I want. But the Christian, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the, the Christian doesn't think that way, according to Jesus. The Christian thinks like a steward. All this stuff comes from God. He gave me the abilities. He gave me the circumstances that have allowed me to acquire or to inherit or to have everything that he's blessed me with. I'm a steward of all this stuff. And that way of thinking, it allows you to hold things loosely so that they don't break your heart when you lose them eventually. It allows you to hold things loosely and that encourages generosity. If you hold things, le if you hold things less tightly, you're able to share them more freely. Stewardship actually encourages generosity while ownership encourages stinginess and hoarding. So let me ask you a question. What defines you? What are you focusing on? That's another way of asking the same question. What are you focusing on? If you really want to know what defines you, ask yourself what you're focusing on. Jesus is offering you a choice. The choice is between two options. The first option is this. Keep letting the things that you think you own, own you. Keep letting the things that you own, own you. And let them direct the course of your life. Or become their master. Become the master of all of these things. Don't let them master you. You master them so that you can, so that you can not only be generous with all of it, but these things won't be able to break your heart. If you own them, they will not be able to break your heart. Scroll through the last six months of your social media posts. That will probably tell you what you're really about, what you've been looking at, what you've been focusing on, what you, who you desire the most. Look at your bank statement. Look at your credit card statement. How... What's your money been going to and where has it been coming from and where is it going to? These things tell you what you're focusing on the most. And Jesus tells us in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So this is interesting. He's saying, your eye is the lamp of your body. What you focus on the most is what directs you in this life. And he says, if your eye is good, if your eye is healthy and generous, your life is good. But if your eye is bad, and the word there is evil, and the word had another connotation, isn't this interesting? The word could also connote greediness. 
stinginess, right? So if your eye, if your eye is healthy and whole and generous, your body is full of light. Your life is full of light. You have good direction. If your eye is evil, if your eye is stingy and greedy, your body is full of darkness. Your life is full of darkness. You're being misled. You're being misguided. And you're investing in things that are going to be taken away from you someday that are going to break your heart. Isn't that interesting? So, so a stewardship mentality is actually filling yourself, filling your life with light and li- with light and life, but an ownership mentality is filling your life with darkness and death. And so Jesus concludes in verse 24 with this amazing statement, no one can serve two masters, right? You're going to be devoted to one or the other. You can't be devoted to both. And he says, you cannot serve God and money. And the word there for money, it could be taken more broadly than that, all material wealth, all material assets. And it was a neutral word. You see, the Bible, the Bible never says that money, and, and, that money and possessions and material assets are evil. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. The Bible says the, that money can be a root of all evil. You see, the problem is not money and assets, and possessions. The problem is you. Jesus is saying the problem is not money and assets, whether you have a lot of it or whether you have none of it, the problem is you. The problem is how you are thinking about all of this. The problem is what's motivating you. The problem is, the problem is how you view it. What are you focusing on? What do you desire the most? Money is not the problem, you're the problem is what Jesus is saying. And so, and so to summarize everything he said in this passage, in this beautiful passage, your internal desires focus your attention on the things and the people that you end up serving. What you care about and focus on most rules you. As Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. And the God of the Bible is saying to you, let that be me. Let it be me. Who you serve will require your undivided devotion. Whatever you serve the most will demand from you your very life. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And this is the beginning of the famous Shema, where the Jews knew uh, that this was at the center of their life and that it was supposed to guide them in their daily living. They were supposed to remember this before they left the house in the morning. They were supposed to teach this to their children. Moses told the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You see, God is really the only one who can rightly claim your undivided devotion. Only Him. And when you start to think about the life of Christ, you discover that Jesus devoted Himself fully, always, to His Heavenly Father. 
right? He was an undivided man. He lived truly the only undivided human life. His undivided devotion to his heavenly Father cost him his life. His undivided devotion to the priorities of the kingdom of God and to his heavenly Father cost Jesus his life, and he gave it up gladly and willingly. The book of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising its guilt and his shame. Jesus gave up his very life for the one that he was fully devoted to in a way that we could never have done. And you know that. You've never devoted yourself undividedly to anybody, um, maybe to yourself. Maybe you've undividedly devoted yourself to yourself. And that's really what Jesus is saying when he's saying, don't treasure up for yourself earthly treasures. Don't be rich to yourself. Be rich to God. Be rich to others. Jesus, by undividingly devoting his very life to his heavenly Father's priorities, was investing in you. Jesus gave up himself to eternally invest in you. That's what he was doing on the cross. Everyone and, and everything that you have devoted yourself to in this life has only and can only ever partly devote themselves or itself back to you, if at all. And you know that that's true. Your possessions rot. Um, you, pandemics deplete your savings and your pension. I, I looked at my pension statement for the last since the pandemic hit. Not a pretty picture, right? One little invisible virus can deplete your life savings. And you know that the people you have devoted yourself to the most have disappointed you. They may not be devoted to you at all. And if they are devoted to you, they're not devoted to you in the way you want them to be. They can't be. But God is fully devoted to you. God proved his undivided devotion to you when he hung himself on a cross. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, the way Jesus lived his life and how he talks, that is God's proof to you that he is wholly, undividedly devoted to you. And that's why devoting yourself to him is the best investment. This not only is a beautiful thing, it makes perfect logical sense. God is the only one who is fully devoted to you, and therefore devoting yourself to him is the best possible investment you could ever make. So do it. A person can only be devoted to one thing. And God is saying to you now, let that one thing be me. Jesus is saying to you, let it be me. Let the one thing you devote yourself to be me and your body and your life will be full of life, will be full of light. There's this beautiful moment in David's Psalm 39 where he looks at the world and he despairs and he says a very wise thing, surely a man goes about as a shadow 
Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Your life is like a shadow, the Bible says. Your life is, your, you, James said your life is like a, it's like a wisp of vapor. Um, the things you own and the things you build up and accumulate and work for and hoard and protect, you're going to die someday and the best attorney cannot promise that all that you've worked for will remain intact forever. You'll have no control over it. That's what an ownership mentality does to you. It reduces your life and everything you've worked for to nothing but a shadow. But then David does a beautiful thing. In all of that, he turns and he says, and now... O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. That's a stewardship mentality. In a materialistic world where what matters most to everybody else are the things that nobody can keep, in that environment, focus upward. Turn the focus of the, 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 the eyes of your heart toward heavenly things, towards God's priorities. Live those priorities out in this life, here and now, and, and you'll discover that your investment decisions begin to shift, and you loosen up your control of things. You'll hold them more loosely because you're a steward of things that God owns, that God has entrusted to you, and you, become, you, you begin to discover that you're becoming less worried and you're becoming more generous and you're becoming more free. You're becoming more joyful. Dare I say, you're becoming more happy. You're living life. You're full of light. A person can only be devoted to one thing. Let it be Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we confess as the church father Augustine did, uh, that our hearts wander, uh, that our hearts are restless until they can find their contentment in you. Let it be so, Father. Let it be you. Help us to turn away from the things we have focused on, uh, the things that our eyes have filled our hearts with. Help us. Help us to turn away even from the good things and the good people that we have that we have loved, that we have idolized, um, that we have loved incorrectly, really. Help us to turn our focus towards you and your kingdom. And may it change our investment strategies. May it change how we view the things we have. Help us to become self-giving, selfless, as Jesus is in his name. Amen.